to another episode of the HC Hive podcast. This is Sue, and we have Dr. Amy Bruckman here with us. Uh, so Dr. Bruckman is a professor and associate chair in the School of Interactive Computing. She's also a member of the GVU Center here at Georgia Tech. And aside from her incredibly prolific career as a researcher, um, you can check out her Google Scholar page, it's pretty incredible, uh, is probably best known in the MSHCI students to the program for teaching her course, The Design of Online Communities. Uh, so this course has been one of my personal favorite courses here so far, and a big reason that is is because she's been teaching this class for over 20 years, right? Yeah, which since is 1998. Which is incredible, <laughs> and she has some really great stories to share from it too, and that's one of my favorite part of the classes. But needless to say, we're really excited to um, have you here today. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Bruckman. Glad I could be here. So I think, you know, like I mentioned, the students know you best for your course in online communities and then also your work in online communities, but your research actually covers a pretty wide range of areas, right? Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the other areas that you also do research in. Well, uh, I like studying online collaboration. Uh, and very often work in my lab is driven by the students in my lab. So the projects right now uh, cover a variety of topics, and those are somewhat tailored to the interests of the students who I'm working with. Uh, Shogun Java and I are working on understanding content moderation online and the uh, balance between human and automated approaches and uh, the balance between keeping people safe from harassment and preserving people's free speech. I have another project with Shicheta Goshal where we're studying how grassroots groups use technology. Uh, so if you're organizing a social movement, uh, you probably will need to announce meetings and uh, coordinate events and people tend to use free off-the-shelf technologies like Facebook to accomplish those goals. But what happens when some of your members are uh, economically and educationally less, less advantaged and don't have access to anything but a flip phone? Yeah. Uh, so we're thinking about all the ways in which uh, you know, if you went back 20 years and said, uh, told a political organizer 20 years ago, 20 years from now you're going to have free video conferencing, they would have been really excited. Mm -hmm. But now tell them, and the people who you're most passionate about including as first-class participants in your movement won't have access to it. Only middle-class people will have access to it. Well, that's a problem, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, in that project, we're studying the unintended consequences of technology. Uh, Scott Appling is studying misinformation from a user-centered point of view, and we're talking with people who've posted fake stories and asking them why they posted it, and trying to figure out are there different personas, different kinds of people who uh, post fake content. And our hypothesis is that we will need different solutions for different kinds of people who are posting fake content. So those are just a couple of the things I'm working on now. <laughs> a couple of very lighthearted topics, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's really awesome. Um, so going into research as a career, is this where you were hoping you would end up or were planning to end up or how did you get here? Oh, I love what I do. You know, I started in grad school at the MIT Media Lab in, oh, I don't know what year was that, a while ago, 1989. <laughs> And uh, I don't think I knew then what I wanted to do, but, you know, when I started off in research, I was doing a mix of social computing and education. 
And over time, I've moved more and more to just do social computing work and not education. So I think that's a a little bit of a a left turn, but I find this internet stuff fascinating. Yeah, I mean, how how could you not? It seems like a completely new thing and just like the history of humanity. And maybe that's an over-exaggeration for someone who's interested in these topics, but... (laughs) I I think it is. I think it is. And I think it's changing things in a very fundamental way, basic things about our society. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to social computing, where would you say that that began? Well, uh, social computing research or social computing or... I guess social computing just as an act or as a thing that happens. Oh, I could give you a long history of the internet. I mean, <laughs> you know, it started off, the internet, start, ARPANET started off as uh, something built to encourage scientific research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of the fun things that's happened is that I have had the opportunity to watch it evolve from something used just by specialists to something used by everybody. Mm-hmm. And in that progression, was there anything that really surprised you or that you really weren't expecting? Oh, everything. <laughs> uh, I think the, lately the biggest thing is um, in the early days of the Internet, we were very optimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, lately, I think uh, people are more worried than optimistic about the impact it's having on everything. Uh, probably the worry is as extreme as the optimism was, and the truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to um, you yourself participating in these online communities, would you say that your work affects at all how you uh, go about using the internet or participating in any of these? So um, but one part of my research method is participant observation. So I try and participate as much as possible in things I'm studying. Uh, and uh, I think that gives me deeper insights. Uh, so I've been lately spending a lot of time moderating on Reddit. Uh, Shogun and I are studying Reddit moderation, and I was, for 2019, number 12 on the most active mod list for our science oh. of the 1,500 mods, so awesome. uh, trying to really help. And uh, I've been modding a couple other subs in addition recently. I think by walking the walk, you get a deeper view on what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And I remember you telling us in class that you're also modding the, the GOTEC. Uh, yeah, I am uh, really honored that the students included me, uh, trusted me. All the other mods are students and me. Uh, and it's a more somber job than I realized when I said I would help. Because uh, mostly we don't delete much on the sub, but... Sometimes some very serious things come up that we have to deal with. For example, uh, if someone commits suicide, the mods delete the method because it turns out that knowing the method encourages copycats. And they are uh, very mature and thoughtful people moderating that sub, and I am uniformly impressed with them. Uh, But I did not expect it to be so serious and heavy. Uh, when I said I would help out. I was thinking of it more as goofy memes. Uh, There are goofy memes, uh, but uh, there's more going on there. Yeah, that's not really what I would have imagined either after just having been on the subreddit. Like, that's not... I see more of the goofy memes than I see of of the other more somber stuff. Right, and it doesn't happen that often, right? Uh, Thank goodness. Uh, But but that is our main function as mods of our got tech, is to deal with the serious stuff. Uh, we had a murder-suicide threat a month ago, and the police found the person in an hour. Wow. It was astonishing. 
uh, because they were logged on from GT Wi-Fi. So we know where you're connecting from. So we know we can get the IP address from Reddit and uh, then look up who was logged on from that IP address at that time. And uh, they were able to get the person help. So uh, some heavy duty stuff I wasn't expecting. Most definitely heavy duty. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it's also interesting that you say, you know, you're, you feel really honored that students would trust you to be in this moderating role. So, um, you know, typically when I think of a moderator, I just think of someone who's, you know, kind of in the conceptual or metaphorical sky of this community and they do things in the background and maybe I'm not really so familiar with them. But um, now that I'm thinking about it, there's actually a lot of things that would make for a, a good or sensitive moderator. Yep. So what are those types of things that I don't know if you've experienced or have observed that make for a good well, moderator? You know, what makes for a good community is clear rules that all the moderators understand and enforce consistently and where the moderators discuss edge cases. Uh, so I volunteered recently to be a moderator on r slash coronavirus, and that's the opposite. I have no idea what the rules are. Uh, and I haven't been help helping out there that much because I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's pretty complicated to try and figure out what you uh, should allow people to say and not allow people to say. So, yeah. Uh, but that's a difficult topic. Yeah, very tough. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit, talk a little bit about the design of online communities course. So you've been teaching the course since 1998, you mentioned? Yeah, I love teaching this class. Uh, we have students study an online site. They do participant observation on the site and they interview members. And there have been quite a few now published research papers that have come out of the class awesome. uh, on all different topics. Uh, so uh, it, it's been fun, and I learn a tremendous amount every time I teach it. I learn about all different kinds of sites I hadn't heard of, and uh, the students do really good work. So uh, I enjoy teaching it. Yeah, and I would imagine that it's also probably changed a lot over the years. Yeah, you know, um, the um, some of the core readings have not changed, and that's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been reading Goffman for a lot of years, and uh, it was written before I was born, and will always be reading Goffman. The, uh, the stuff that changes more than anything is the online sites we look at. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are, you know, exist for just a moment and are gone. Others become so mainstream that, you know, like a number of years ago, I assigned people to check out this new site called eBay, right? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't assign people to check out eBay now because you better know what eBay is. <laughs> Uh, so the online sites change quite a bit. Uh, I always struggle to about which readings to update, which ones are timeless versus which ones need to be made more recent. So I'm working on that every year. Uh, and there's so many new cool new papers coming out. So we're trying to update it but not lose the, the stuff that's classic. Right. I, I remember um, one of the weeks that we, I think this was for Tuesday's class, actually, we read that paper about the assault that happened in this kind of virtual environment. Yeah, that's for today. Um, oh, for today? Yeah, that's today's lecture. Oh, okay. Well, I guess we'll be it talking about it all blends together after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> going to be talking about it at noon. Yeah. Okay. But that was on a mood? Uh, yep, a mood. Yep, yep. So, you know, that happened in the 90s, and uh, but uh, the author Julian DeBell is a really good writer, uh, and I think he tells a compelling story that's timeless in its own way. Uh, the students in their reading reflections had really different reactions to that. So today's class is going to be interesting. 
good. Good looking forward to it then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in thinking about, because you mentioned that all the students do participant observation on some online site. Yeah. Right? I'd imagine there's been quite a range of online sites then that people have looked at. Oh, a huge range. Yeah. The um, One of the most wild is uh, I actually let a team of students uh, recently study VOTE. V-O-A-T, which is an alt-right site. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't usually do that, but uh, they were really careful in how they did it. And and, and sometimes sites, uh, people have, every possible kind of site, people have studied in the class. And some of them turn out to be very different than you expected. The example I gave in class uh, was uh, we had some students one year studying the Clark Howard site, which uh, Clark Howard is a consumer advocate. And the people who went to study the site just thought it would be nice people sharing tips and tricks on how to save money. And it turned out that uh, it was actually a political flame fest where uh, people were attacking uh, people who were pro-consumer for political reasons. Uh, Really completely surprising. Uh, The other uh, story I know I've told you all is that we had some people studying a travel site that turned out to actually be a dating site. Uh, they didn't know it was a dating site when they signed up to study it. They just wanted to talk about their next vacation. And it turned out that uh, most of the people on the site were actually there to find someone to take their next vacation with. Uh, so these things can surprise you in good ways. Yeah, that's really um, incredible. And I feel like you wouldn't, obviously, you wouldn't know that until you actually participate on the site and really get embedded into what's going on. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And what about some of the ways that online communities might have changed or any any patterns that you might have seen? Is there any are there any trends that you see going on? Well, um, there's a, a ton of trends. I don't even know where to start. I mean, obviously, things have gotten more visual than they used to be. Mm-hmm. So uh, it there used to be a lot of text based interaction and there still is if you look at many sites, but things are more focused on images and videos. Uh, if you look at uh, the popularity of something like TikTok, uh, that's certainly a trend. You know, when I look back over all the years of the class, one of the things that has changed the most is the underlying business models. How do you make money off of something like this? When this all started, it was impossible to make a reasonable amount of money through advertising, and now you can. Uh, and that changes a lot, that a lot of these sites are ad-supported as opposed to free or subscription-supported. Right. And then in terms of uh, the people who are on these sites, you mentioned that it's, it's a lot less experts now and more just... Right, sure. The, you know, the early days of networking, it was uh, faculty at elite research institutions, and now it's everybody. Uh, and that uh, changes online interaction for everyone to know that there's more diverse people online. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to studying these online sites, I'd imagine that you probably run into a lot of challenges as well, right? If you're uh, interacting with who knows who, <laughs> because anyone could be anyone on the internet. What are some of those challenges that you think are, are specific to studying these sites? Well, you know, we have challenges particularly in that it's very hard to study children. So mm-hmm. you need parental permission to study kids. And it is simply awkward for a strange adult to ask to speak to a teenager. Uh, So I tell students in the class, no, you can't study kids. In past years, we've let people study kids, but it's always difficult. Uh, So that's one major challenge. You know, some sites are harder to recruit from than others. 
Uh, students in the class always struggle getting interviews, particularly if they pick a site that people don't like that much. So if you imagine a site that you use all the time and that you're really that you really love. If someone asked you, hey, do you want to talk about it? You'd say, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Now imagine a site that, well, you went there once, but it's not really of interest to you. Hey, do you want to talk with me about the site? The answer would be no. So it works better when students study sites that are popular and that don't have too many kids. Mm -hmm. And that's just an artifact of our method. I mean, other kinds of sites are interesting, but uh, this particular method of uh, uh, just asking people, hey, will you talk to me, uh, kind of biases you towards getting a lot of insights into the regulars on popular sites. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that's happened over the last few years is that more and more people are studying subreddits. So I always joke that the class should be renamed Reddit Studies. <laughs> uh, but there are people doing a variety of things, not just subreddits. Uh, but uh, particularly if someone's stuck for a good topic, picking a subreddit is always the easiest thing to do. So I think half the class are studying Reddit this semester. Uh, but what's nice about that is that every subreddit has a different set of rules, a different culture. Mm -hmm. So there are things you can learn by studying all these different sites. Right. And then I also remember in, in the class, you talked about privacy and anonymity and do you identify your participants? Do you not? Some people actually want to be identified if, if they're you know, creating work that they're really proud of. That's something that I really didn't expect. Um, yeah, you know, this. the um, rules about anonymizing human subjects come from uh, originally from medical experimentation. So if you test a drug for a horrible disease, you don't put in the paper, and the person who had the horrible disease but we cured was named Sue. Uh, <laughs> you don't put that in the paper. It's, it's private if you was in your trial. If you're studying someone who made this amazing fractal art, uh, and shared it on DeviantArt, then anonymizing them is not only not necessary, it's unethical because they deserve credit for their work. Uh, and we've, my lab has published a couple papers about well, how, why you should sometimes allow people to be identified if they want to be. Uh, and uh, our IRB has accepted that as, yeah, you're right. Uh, so it's, it's been fun because in terms of how to do this ethically, I had to invent it. <laughs> Which is incredible <laughs> to be, I don't know, the first, like the person who's inventing how to study something. Um. I, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and then people act surprised when I say I don't do research on research ethics. No, 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 wait. I innovate in research ethics so that I can get my work done. But if you're asking me, would I like to write a grant proposal to study research ethics? The answer is no, thank you. I'm busy studying, using the techniques to study people. So uh, I think people find that surprising. But they're big questions, too, that need to be kind of talked about, I guess, before you go They are, and they're surprisingly fascinating, uh, you know, and more complicated than you think at first in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that's the online communities class that you okay. teach. Yeah. Are there any ways that you work with students in the MSHCI program? Yeah, I love supervising MSHCI students. I have uh, multiple MSHCI students who've gone on to be PhD students with me. Uh, I usually suggest anyone who wants to work with me should take my class. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I may or may not have time for someone who hasn't taken my class. But if you take my class and do well, uh, then I would be happy to talk with you about uh, a uh, possible research project. And those research projects are the MSACI master's projects, the capstone? Yes. Projects? Yep. 
Are there any other, um, because I know some students do independent studies as well. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I'm always happy to uh, do independent studies with students. Again, I generally prefer that you take my class first and then approach about an independent study. Although if you have a particular passionate interest in something I do, then I uh, will consider it otherwise. Sounds good. Well, are there any other tips or words of wisdom that you would give to someone who might be interested in studying this field or um, coming to this program or working with you? Oh, I, I don't know if I have any words of wisdom, uh, but I will say that uh, I love our program and I think you all have landed in a good place. I agree. <laughs> I'm happy being here. So thank you so much for coming here today. Uh, we we're really glad to have you and, and to have you talk with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.